Good morning, everybody. My friends, welcome back to Next on Sunday. It's great to see all of you here. Thank you for joining us today. Podcasters out there in podcast land, we want you to feel welcome as well. Y'all say hello to the podcast. I hope they heard that. Appreciate everybody that listens in during the week and everybody that shows up here on Sunday morning at 10 5. It's great to see all of you. Hey, just a quick reminder. Um, this Saturday, this coming Saturday, that's March 11th at 6 p.m. right here in the A Center, our first next social of the year. And some of you are working right now on your next and air. Isn't that a great name, next and air? Yeah. I don't know who came up with that, if that if that brilliance was Nathan's or Courtney's. But um, anyway, there you go. Appreciate you working on that. If you wouldn't mind, whenever you get that next and air filled out, um, just leave that here in class. Give it to Nathan. Give it to Courtney. We'd really like to get it from you before you leave. If you're going to be here Saturday night, if you've got plans to be here, would you just raise your hand and let us know? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 12. Now I've got about, I'm going to go ahead and say about 20 right now, Nathan. Um, hopefully some more of you will... Uh, Repent and let Jesus work on your heart and, and, and make it out here on, uh, on Saturday night. We're going to have some fun, some food, some fellowship, some fun, do some stuff with relationships. As a matter of fact, if you're working on your next denier right now, then that's going to play a role. And Nathan said, just please leave it right back there on top of the media booth. Just set it on the shelf back there. We really appreciate you doing that. Uh, Jeremy's going to pass out something else to you if he hasn't done that already. I've got a handout for you for today. And uh, it's got some blanks on there for you to fill in and take notes for those of you so inclined. But today, if you need a pen, just raise a hand right now. Wave at Jeremy. He'll get you one. Thank you, Jeremy, for helping us with that. Today, we're going to continue our work on relationships, relationships as God intends them to be. Uh, relationships take some work sometimes, don't they? Yes, 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 they do. You know, even Jesus took time to work on his relationships. Uh, he often went off by himself. How many ever read that in Scripture? Jesus goes off by himself to pray. He took some time to work on himself and work on his relationship with God. He got away from the crowds. He got away from <laughs> got away from the disciples and uh, just to be alone and to pray sometimes. Um, sometimes he took the disciples aside just to talk to them away from the crowds, and they could have some times of focused fellowship. Jesus was wise in his relationships. And if we'll follow his example and follow the clear wisdom that he has given us in his word, then we can be wise in our relationships too. We can have better relationships. We can have healthier relationships. And as a result, we can have healthier lives and fewer crazy moments with crazy makers. Going to get a, get a good amen. Fewer crazy moments with crazy makers. That's that's a great thing to work toward. Um, we are covering, and we're going we're gonna to pray here in just a second, but we are covering a heavy, heavy topic today. And we've had a lot of fun so far with the series. We've laughed a lot, and, and I've cut up and had some fun. But um, today is it's just it's, it's heavyweight stuff today. We're talking about breaking free from abuse. And I've, I've really felt the burden and, and the stress of this topic all week long 
And I don't know what types of things might shake loose as a result. And ultimately, that's not up to me. That's up to Jesus. But before we move forward in this today, I want us to take just a little bit of time to pray. So if you wouldn't mind to divert your attention away from that next in air for just a few minutes. And let's pray and get a good blood covering over what we're talking about today. And then we'll roll. Lord, we need help in our relationships And the help that we need can only come from you. And uh, in a room like this today, there's no telling what kind of pain somebody's carrying and what type of situations they've come from. And uh, I don't know, but you do. And so what we ask today is just uh, for a blood covering of, of what we do here in this class today, that your blood would cover our minds, cover our spirits. Lord, and and any experience, any pain, any hurt from the past, God, we pray for a blood covering today. Lord, we pray that the voice of the past, the voice of the hurt, and the voice of evil spirits involved would be silenced today, and that the only voice that is heard would be yours. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for praying with me. We're going to start looking at some scriptures here in just a little bit. But before we do, I I really feel like it's important before we dive into this today to remind us all one more time that we are born with this innate sinful nature. We are all born with a tendency to do wrong, to break God's will, because because sin entered the world through Adam. And because it entered the world through Adam, then everything's broken. We're broken. Our relationships are broken, and that's one of the reasons why we need this series. So today we're going to be dealing with the the tragic and and the brutal and the all too often silent consequence of that brokenness, and that's abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse. All of those are a consequence of sin and broken people in broken relationships. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and, and you've got almost all or every single one, I think I, I really tried hard to make sure every scripture got onto that handout today, but it says in 2 Timothy 3 that in the last days, abuse would rise. Let's look at it in the NIV. It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The scripture tells us that in the last days, abuse will become more and more prevalent. And of course, we see that all around us as our culture is decaying, as people live more and more for themselves And less and less for God, abuse is on the rise. It's at an all-time high. I want to give you some very sobering statistics. The leading injury or the leading cause of injury, the leading cause of injury to women in the world is domestic violence in the home. I want you to think about that for just a second. The leading cause of injury to women in the world is domestic violence in the home. It's more than the next three causes of injury to women combined. Accidents, muggings, and rape. Domestic abuse counts for more injuries to women than than 
accidents, muggings, and rape combined. Every nine seconds in the U.S., a woman is assaulted or beaten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's another one. Around the world, one in every three women has been beaten, coerced into sex, or abused in her lifetime. One in every three women around the world. One in five teenage girls have been in a relationship where the boyfriend either threatened violence or threatened self-harm if she broke up with him. In one recent survey, 92% of the women who responded to the survey listed, listed reducing domestic abuse and sexual assault as their top concerns. The University of New Hampshire completed a 32-nation study, and they found, now listen to this, they found that women now commit half of all partner violence. So it's not just one-sided anymore. It's not just men anymore. Half of women commit, half of all partner violence is committed by women. So women are just as likely to commit violence and emotional abuse. But male victims report abuse even less than women do. America has three times as many shelters for animals as we do for victims of domestic abuse. Hmm. You know, the Bible is filled with examples of abuse. We're going to look at just a few of these. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 6, and this is in the message, it says that Sarah was abusive to Hagar, so she ran away. Isn't that just a picture of modern America? Runaways due to abuse. 1 Samuel 25 and 17 says, You need to know this and figure out what to do, for there's going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He is so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. So what's going on here? And in one translation said, it says he's a bully who won't listen to anyone. He's so ill-tempered no one can talk to him. But this is one of the servants talking to Abigail about her husband Nabal. And, and uh, they said, the servant told her, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, your husband Nabal. But all Nabal did was scream and curse at them. And David's men have been protecting us and taking care of us. So this is going to cause trouble because Nabal is just screaming insults and being a bully. Now, by the way, Nabal was drunk whenever he did that. So... He was a mean drunk. He was an abusive alcoholic. Job 19, 1 through 3 says, Then Job spoke again, How long will you torture me? How long will you try to crush me with your words? You've already insulted me ten times. You should be ashamed of treating me so badly. Guys, the reason we need to deal with this topic today is because the damage done from abuse is a lifetime damage. Unless you learn to deal with it. And what we want to do today is we want to equip you. We want to equip all of you. Because chances are there's more than one person in this room today 
who has either experienced abuse themselves or you're close to someone who has. And I want you to be equipped to help yourself if you need it. And I want you to be equipped to help someone else that you love and care about if they need it. So we want to talk about what we want to talk about today is is how to be free from abuse, how to be free from that lifetime damage that abuse can cause. The U.S. government did a study several years ago that showed that 80 percent of Americans in their 20s who were abused as children were still carrying the pain of that abuse and were emotionally dysfunctional in some way. So it lasts a long time. Job 30 and 27 says the churning inside me never stops. Days of suffering confront me. So if you were abused. God forbid, but if you're in this house today and you are being abused or if you know someone who was abused or is being abused. You need to know the steps. To break free and the steps to recover and to get away from that inner churning and suffering. Now, guys, there's no passage in the Bible that says here are all the steps for breaking free from abuse. But there are examples and many examples from Scripture and many verses that deal with the principles of how to deal with abuse. So how do I help someone? How do I help myself? How do I help someone break free from abuse? How do I help myself Break free from abuse. What I want to do today is give you seven biblical steps for breaking free from abuse. And there's an order to these. So if you're dealing with abuse, either your own or someone's someone else's taking these steps in order is a place to start. Now, this guys, I'm going to tell you right now, this is not the perfect lesson on abuse. It's the best that I can offer you. I'm not an expert on abuse. Rick Warren might be. I've seen it several times over the over the past 20 years in my office at school. But I can tell you right now, I am I'm not the authority. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to instead of giving you a magic wand that makes it all go away or the cure all. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you a place to start. Is that fair? Because sometimes we just don't know. We don't know where in the world do I even start dealing with? Well, here's a place to start. This is biblical wisdom on a place to start. So that's actually your first blank. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. But it's a place to start. And so often, guys, just finding a place to start is the hardest, isn't it? So. Seven seven biblical steps for breaking free from abuse. Here we go. Step number one. And it's number one because it is the most critical. Step number one, don't keep it a secret. Don't keep it a secret. Nothing's going to happen until you take step one. Don't keep it a secret. It's the most common thing in abuse for the person being abused, not to tell anyone. But the Bible says you have to share the pain you're feeling if you want to move past it. You can't hide it. You can't fake it. You can't cover it up. You can't ignore it and expect to be free from it. 
See, there's the, there's the kicker. Yeah, you can cover it up and you can hide it, but just know you won't be free from it. But if you want to be free from it, you've got to uncover it. You've got to tell somebody. If you want to be free, you can't keep it a secret. Y'all have heard me say before, you're only as strong as you are honest. How many of you heard me say that before? You're only as strong as, you're on, as you are honest. But there's a converse to that. And that is, I'm only as sick as my secrets. Secrets make us sick. And if you can't talk about it, then it's already out of control in your life. If you can't talk about it, it's already dominating you in some way. You've got to talk about it with somebody. John chapter 8, verse 32. Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We know that often abuse is called the silent epidemic, right? You've heard that before. It's the shameful secret that nobody in the family wants to talk about. And people suffer in silence. One study looked at 10 different nations, and it found that depending on which country you live in, between 55 to 95% of the women who have been abused by their partners never told anyone. The same study discovered that men are even less likely to talk about their abuse or get help. And here's why. There's this insidious symptom that comes with abuse in that it creates shame in the abused person. The person abused feels shame and guilt over the abuse that was done to them. So I want you to listen to Jason this morning because, because I love you. I love you. I want you to hear me today. If you were abused as a child, if you are in an abusive relationship right now, listen to Jason because I love you. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And if you're helping someone who's been abused, they're going to need to hear that from you. Listen to me because I love you. It's not your fault because that person, whoever they are, they're going to be carrying loads of shame and guilt. But you're not responsible for the wrong, sinful actions of someone else. Yeah, but it's not your fault. But what happened? It's not your fault. We're going to spend a, a good bit of time today looking at, at King David because he faced all kinds of abuse. People wanted to kill him. They ridiculed him. They, they wanted to discredit him. You read the Psalms, you'll see it. You'll read and you'll see David using the language of abuse. Let's look at Psalm 109 verses 1 through 5 in the message. It says, my God, don't turn a deaf ear to my hallelujah prayer. Liars are pouring out invective on me. Their lying tongues are like a pack of dogs out to get me, barking their hate, nipping my heels, and for no reason. I loved them, and now they slander me. Yes, me, and treat my prayer like a crime. They return my good with evil. They return my love with hate. David uses the word enemy or enemies over 90 times in the book of Psalms. He talks about the abuse they heap on his life. David models for us step number one. You don't hold it in. You got to talk about it. You can't keep it a secret. Psalms 39, one through four says, I said, I will watch my ways. Y'all pay attention to what's going on here. 
He said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. I'm not going to say anything. So I remained utterly silent, not even saying anything good. And what happened? But my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. While I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, Lord, my life's end and show me the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. Let's look at this today through the lens of abuse, because this is a classic response to abuse. Notice four things happen. The first thing is he doesn't want to talk about it, about it while he's in the presence of his abusers. I'm not going to say anything. I will put a muzzle in my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. The second thing is his silence makes it worse. I remained utterly silent, but what happened? My anguish increased. The third thing that happened is he internalized the pain and the eternalized pain got worse. My heart grew hot within me. And the fourth thing that happened was he begins to be obsessed with death. Show me, Lord, my life's end and let me know how fleeting my life is. And we all know the, the, the correlation between abuse and suicide and self-harm. Because I see the kids in my, in my office and it's 95 degrees outside and they wear long sleeves. Why? Because there's cuts. Cuts. Self-harm. These are all typical responses to abuse. And where did it start? He said, I'll hold it in. I won't say anything. Folks, you, you can't keep it a secret if you want to break free. You've got to talk about it. You've got to tell somebody. Everybody doing okay? It's heavy stuff, isn't it? I wish I could tell you it's going to get lighter, but it's not. Y'all just hang with me today. Step number two, name the abuse. Name the the abuse. You got to give it a name. You got to identify it. You got to be specific. You got to call it what it is. I was abused. I was sexually abused. I was physically abused. Give it a name. You might need some help with this. You might need to get somebody to help you with naming it. And if you don't have someone that you trust to help you, I know a guy. I'm not talking about Jesus, but he would be a good one to talk about. But I know a guy. I will give you his name and I will give you his phone number. If you need help naming the abuse, abuse, if someone, you know, needs help naming the abu abuse, I know a guy who can help. When people are abused, they don't often spot it, especially with verbal and emotional abuse. When people are being abused, they especially in sexual abuse, physical abuse, those are pretty easy to spot. But with emotional and verbal abuse, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to nail down. I want to give you eight common characteristics of emotional abuse. Eight common characteristics of emotional abuse. These are hallmarks of emotional abuse. And we're going to go back to Psalms for each one of these. The first one is aggravation. Now, of course, we're talking about a pattern here. Sometimes Julia aggravates me, but she's not abusing me. Sometimes I aggravate her. She's not, and, and I'm not abusing her. We're talking about a pattern of aggravation. Psalms 102 and 8 says, all day long my enemies taunt me. Circle that little word right there. They taunt me. 
Those who rail against me use my name as a curse, taunting, aggravating. They just won't leave you alone. Even though you've asked them to, even though you've let them know it bothers you. Aggravation. The second one is intimidation. Intimidation. Psalms 109 and 20 says, this is the Lord's punishment upon my enemies who tell lies about me and threaten me with death. You can circle threaten on that one. If you have someone who's always threatening you, if there is a pattern of threatening behavior, trying to scare you, trying to pressure you into compliance, I'm going to leave you if you don't. If you don't do it my way, I'm going to get violent, throw a tantrum, whatever it is they do. It's intimidation. It's emotional abuse. The third one is denigration. Number three, denigration. Denigration. That's whenever they're always putting you down. Just always running you down. Always, always talking about you. And it, Psalms 22 and 7 says, Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. It's a perfect picture of denigration. It's ridicule. They mock me. They make fun of me. And we're not talking about good-natured teasing here. We're talking about mean-spirited scorn and derision. They intentionally put you down to make you feel bad about yourself. In today's society, a great example of that, body shaming. How many of you know? You've seen the videos, the pictures, the whatever. Okay? Denigration. The fourth one is humiliation. Humiliation. Psalm 69 and 19 says, You know that I have been insulted, put to shame, and humiliated. Shame is a favorite tool of abusers. It's like the heaviest tool in their tool bag. They demean you. They dishonor you. They disgrace you. It's emotional abuse. The fifth one is manipulation. Manipulation. Psalm 73 and 8 says they jeer using words to kill. They bully their way with words. Have you ever been bullied with words? You know what that's like. You know the experience. Manipulation. The sixth one, number six, domination. Psalms 118 and 13, domination. Psalms 118, 13. They pushed hard to make me fall, but the Lord helped. They pushed hard to make me fall. They're always pushing at you. Everything's about control. Everything's a power play. Everything's about who's in charge. Domination. Number seven, defamation. Defamation. Psalm 31 and 13. I have heard the many rumors about me and I am surrounded by terror. My enemies conspire against me, plotting to take my life. They use gossip. They spread rumors. They say things to embarrass you. They want to make you look bad. They want other people to view you as something that you are not. It's defamation. And finally, number eight is condemnation. Condemnation. Psalm 35, 16, they mock me and call me names. They snarl at me. They use vulgarity. They use crude names. They use slurs. They use false labels. It's condemnation. Guys, if any of these words describe the environment that you're in, or if they describe the environment that someone you care about is in, that's emotional abuse. 
It's malicious. It's meant to harm. It's meant to control. And you need to name it for what it is. So step two, you name it. Step number three. Don't minimize it or rationalize it. Don't minimize it or rationalize it. Don't minimize it or rationalize it. Ephesians 5 and 6 says, Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey Him. We're not, we don't need to make excuses for sin. You don't say things like, Oh, he was just having a bad day. You don't say things like, well, I I brought it on myself. I really should have known better. Or, but there are so many good things about her. So many, so many good things about him. You don't minimize it and you don't rationalize it. You don't excuse it. Now, here's the deal. We don't want to talk about it. So to avoid talking about it, we minimize it or rationalize it. And it takes courage and help, the help of God to name it. And face it for what it really is. Folks, God doesn't allow us to justify our own sins. God doesn't give me a pass to say, well, you know what, Lord, I had a really good reason why I did that that time. And let me spell out my justification for you. God doesn't allow me to do that with my own sin. And he doesn't give me any room to minimize it either. I've got to, if I'm going to repent, I've got to call my sin for what it is sin. So if we can't do it for ourselves and be right with God, we know we're not going to be able to make an excuse for somebody else's sin. We're not going to be able to minimize or rationalize someone else's. Step four. Really getting down to brass tacks with this one. Step four. Help them to a safe place if necessary. Talking about how to help someone break free from abuse. You may need to help them to a safe place if necessary. Folks, listen. If you or the person you love and care about is being physically or sexually abused. You need, they need to get out now. Not tonight, not tomorrow, not later this week, today. Today, they need to get out. There's not a single verse in Scripture that says a wife, a husband, or a child has to remain in a situation where their life is being threatened or where they're being abused sexually. There's not a single Scripture that's going to tell you that. You need to get out of that situation. They need to get out of that situation right now. You report it and you get out. Hebrews 13 and 3 says, remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. And this is in the King James. Remember them that are in bonds as if bound with them and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Look at the way this is said in the message. Regard prisoners as if you were in prison with them. And look on victims of abuse as if what happened to their as if what happened to them had happened to you. 
What if it was you being abused? What would you want to do if you knew you had to go home to that after church today? You would want to get out. The Bible says to put yourself in their place. It changes how you think about the abuse if you imagine feeling that pain in your body. Thinking of it that way may help you to help someone else to get out. God doesn't want any of us to stand by as if nothing is happening. God doesn't want any of us to stand by as if nothing is happening. God wants us to say something. He wants us to do something to help. Galatians 6 and 2. Y'all remember this from, from last week? Carry each other's burdens. And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Remember this? Carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's boulders. Carry each other's boulders. And there, there's not many burdens greater than the burden of abuse. God expects us to get involved in this one, folks. We don't get to say, that's none of my business on this one. God expects us to be on the right side of love, and He expects us to be on the right side of the law whenever it comes to abuse. Christians, a Christian, a Christian is going to stand up and get involved. Jesus expects us to protect the defenseless, guys. We don't get a pass. Help them get out if necessary. Step five. Don't confront an abuser by yourself. Don't confront an abuser by yourself. It's neither wise nor safe. You're asking for trouble. Solomon talks about the wisdom of doing things together, right? Ecclesiastes 4 and 12, he says, By yourself, you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Can you get a third person? A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. In other words, sometimes it takes a group. Guys, some secrets are so dark, it takes more than one person to shine the light of truth on it. Ephesians 5 and 11 says, Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, rebuke and expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that the ungodly people do in secret. But when the light shines on them, it becomes clear how evil these things are. And where your light shines, it will expose their evil deeds. But be careful, be careful, be careful. Because remember last week, relationships, healthy relationships need two things. They need grace and truth. And especially on the topic of abuse, we will get really fired up and on board with truth. And we will neglect grace. But you've got to start in love. You've got to start with restoration in mind, not revenge. Because abuse, it, it fills us with rage. It makes us angry. And if we aren't careful, we can respond with rage and judgment in mind from the outset. Let me ask you something. Is it possible for the abused person to be healed and restored? Okay. Is it possible for the abuser to be healed and restored? Yes, it is. But that probably isn't going to happen if you and your group go in swinging your, your holy truth bat 
and swinging for the fences. It's a different attitude, guys, that God commands us to. He says you've got to start with love. Start with love. Every relationship needs truth and grace. Start with love. Step six. Begin the healing process. Begin the healing process. Job chapter 11, and this is one of Job's friends, and I use the air quotes. But Zophar gave this advice to Job, and it really isn't bad advice. He says, if only you would prepare your heart and lift your hands to him in prayer, get rid of your sins and leave all iniquity behind you, then your face will brighten with innocence. You will be strong and free of fear. You will forget your misery. It will be like water flowing away. Your life will be brighter than the noonday. Even darkness will be as bright as morning. Having hope will give you courage. You will be protected and rest in safety. Look at the process, guys, that leads to hope and courage here. He says the first thing you got to do is you got to get your heart right. You got to prepare your heart. Well, how do I do that? Here's the next part. You lift your hands to him in prayer. You reach out to God. That's where healing starts. You get your heart right by reaching out to God. And he says, next, you get rid of your sins and leave all iniquity behind. You get rid of your sins and you leave all. You've got to get rid of your sins and you've got to get away from iniquity. You've got to leave it behind. You've got to get it out of your life. You've got a clean house. Emotionally. Clean house if you have to. And then, he says, then your face will brighten. You will be strong and free from fear. You will forget your misery. You will have hope and courage. And you will be protected and rest in safety. Healing, hope, courage, freedom. Guys, all of that can begin today for you or for somebody you know. Because healing starts whenever we shift our hearts away from our pain and toward God. It starts the healing process. Step seven. Oh, help us all, Lord Jesus. Help us all. Let God settle the score. Let God settle the score. Don't you get even. Don't you retaliate. Don't you try to hurt them back. Don't try to make them hurt as much as you hurt. First Peter three and nine says, don't repay evil for evil. This isn't Jason talking. This is Jesus talking. This is God talking to you. And he says, don't do it. Don't repay evil for evil. He knows us. He knows how we want to react. He knows how we want to respond. He said, don't do it. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. One translation actually said, don't return abuse with abuse. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. If you want God's blessing, you can't do what they did. You've got to be different. Jason, that's that's impossible. That, that You don't know how deep that wound is. You don't understand the hurt that they did to me. You're right. You are absolutely right. I don't. 
But there's one who does. And his name is Jesus. And he understands abuse better than anybody else. He was abused himself. He knows the pain. He knows the misery. He knows the rejection. He knows the shame. He knows the hurt. He's felt it all. And he said, don't return evil for evil. Don't return abuse for abuse. I can bless you if you'll do something different. Isaiah 53 and 5 says, but he was pierced for our rebellion and crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Jesus knows, guys. Jesus understands because he lived it. He lived it. He took the sin and the guilt for every abuser and every abused person on himself. He died for it. So if anybody gets it, Jesus does. Psalm 34 and 18 says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Nothing crushes the spirit more than abuse, but nobody understands it more than Jesus. That's why he is the source of healing. And you know how Jesus responded to all of the abuse? First Peter 2 and 23 says he did not retaliate when insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. One day, one day, God is going to right all of the wrongs. One day, God is going to balance the scales. And he's going to do a better job of it than I will. And he's going to do a better job of it than you will. Leave it in his hands. Guys, I know this has been heavy today, and I know, as I said at the beginning, it's not, it's not perfect, but it's a place to start. Our next steps for this week, they should be plain. If you're being abused, follow the steps. If you love someone, if you're close to someone who's being abused, follow the steps, help them. If none of this applies to you today, first of all, thank you, Jesus. But take this and put it somewhere, because chances are before your time on this earth is through. You're going to need it. You're going to come into contact with that person. Who's in one of these situations and you'll have something. I, I know where to start. It's not perfect, but I know where to start. And follow the steps. Just follow the steps. Keep that, please. Next week, we're going to try to lighten it up a little bit. And we're going to talk about something that you already know. You can't please everybody. You can't please everybody. That's where we're headed next week. Let's pray and we'll go. Lord, you understand it. And you understand it better than anybody else does. The pain from abuse, the hurt from abuse, you carried the weight and the shame, Lord, that the abused feels and you carry the weight and the shame and the pain that the abuser feels. God, you felt it all. Jesus, you felt it all on the cross and the weight of that sin. You bore it. You carried it. So, Lord, if nobody else understands, you understand. Lord, your word has given us 
practical steps that we can take to break free from the damage that abuse causes. You hate it. You hate abuse. And you've shown us how to break free from it. Lord, if we'll follow the principles of your word, Lord, help us, all of us, to have courage. In that moment, whenever it becomes clear what needs to happen and what we need to do, help us to have courage to do the right thing and to be on the right side of love. Bless them. Bless them.